Welcome to Pro Audio Profiles. My name is Brendan Decora, and each week I'll be hosting different guests, mainly engineers and producers, but also people from across the industry. Enjoy. On today's show, we have Mike Stern. He's a scoring engineer with credits on Sex in the City 1 and 2, Iron Man 2, Borat's subsequent movie film, and Hustle, of course, among many more. Check it out. So, first and foremost, I want to thank you for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I've been following your progress on Facebook. and uh, You've had some amazing people, and it's actually a real honor uh, for me to be asked. And so great to see you again. We we go back a long time. It's been a way. It's it's definitely been a while. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Um, I like to start by... If you want to go over your backstory, kind of how you got to where you are, what you know made you decide to be an engineer, that kind of thing. Sure, thank you. Um, this year, I am celebrating my 40th anniversary as a recording engineer. Damn. I've been working in studios since 1983. Nice. Um, I uh, uh, went to Berklee College of Music in Boston okay. and majored in both guitar and uh, was in the very, very first music production and engineering. Um, degree graduating mm-hmm. class Bank. which was very a, first a, one it was a pretty special class nice. um, a lot of us are still doing it nice and That's a lot cool. of us are in la um i i berkeley was unique then in that instead of being kind of a musical conservatory approach mm-hmm. i think of it more as a music vocational school where it really right. taught me how to earn a living in, in music right that's cool um nice. and while i was there um in retrospect I, I think this was a really smart move i started interning at um downtown recorders okay uh and mitch benoff his studio he's mm. he's now a teacher at berkeley but um, two years of very unglamorous work hauling trash right. through rat-infested yeah. warehouses. And, <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, learned, learned that I would have to really, you know, nothing would be handed to me. I had to work, right. work hard. And yeah. as you know, um, the apprenticeship in our business is, can, mm-hmm. be, can be grueling. And, yes. and, uh, <laughs> but I did get to work with some really, really great people. and. Nice. Um, stayed in Boston for a few years, worked at Downtown Recorders, mm-hmm. at Normandy Sound with Phil okay. Green and Tom Soares, which was a great record studio. We had mm-hmm. a, we put an SSL in there when I was nice. there. Um, but I knew that the level of work that I wanted to do was not going to be available to me in Boston, right. so I moved to L.A. in 1990. Okay. Um, my first, very first job, I got a job as a staff engineer at Chick Korea's Mad Hatter Studio. Nice. Uh, and that was a wonderful opportunity. We had mm-hmm. a um, beautiful Neve eighty seventy eight there, right. and um, where was that place? Uh, it still is there. It oh, still really? exists. Um, huh. It's in Silver Lake. Okay. Um, is it privately owned now? Or? Uh, the Church of Chick sold it to the Church of Scientology. Okay. okay. Um, and it's, um, I believe, still somewhat open to the public. Okay. Um, huh. Last time I inquired uh, about okay. working there. Uh, it didn't work out, yeah. um, but uh, huh. they, I believe they still have that famous um, uh, Hamburg Steinway, nice. which by now is is probably 80 years old, nine-foot Steinway. <laughs> right. When I worked there, um, Chick's wife, Gail Moran, mm-hmm. uh, also had a nine-foot Bosendorfer there. So we had those two okay. spectacular right. pianos, nice. and I got a great education in learning how to record piano properly. Most engineers, right. um, I hate to say... 
over mic yes. a piano. They put yes. too many mics. Right. They don't know where to put the mics. Right. And um, uh, so it, that was a great place to work. And right. I was there till um, 1995, 1996. And okay. one, of the, one of the highlights is I got to work with Butch Vig on nice. a Soul Asylum record called oh, cool. Let Your Dim Light Shine, which yeah, went yeah. platinum. Nice. Uh, beautiful record. And, awesome. and Butch, uh, I learned a lot from him. Nice. Um, during that record, I got a call from John Debney mm-hmm. um, to help him at his studio. And I ended up working for him for um, 10 years in film music. And I got to right. go to all the scoring stages. Okay. Uh, at that time in L.A., there were six scoring stages. Now right. there's three. Right. Um, but I got to work at... Wait, what were the other two? Because I know of Tadeo, obviously. Tadeo. What was the um, other one? Oh, Paramount. Uh, Paramount Stage M. Right. I, by the way, did I did what I think is the very, very last mix oh, at really? Paramount Stage nice. M. I, I mixed a movie called um, Mr. McGorium's Wonder Emporium okay. for Aaron Zygman, whom nice. I did, I think, 65 movies with. Awesome. Um, and that board is now at uh, Silent Zoo, yes, as you right. know. Yes, that's right. Yep, exactly. Um, which is a wonderful space, a really yeah. wonderful nice. space. Victor Janiqua runs it. and mm-hmm. Um, Holden uh, uh, Holden Woodward I Woodward believe. owns yes. it yeah yes. nice people just so what was it. the last scoring stage I don't know of that one uh, it was Universal and, Universal had um, their own stage I yeah, didn't even know that um, huh. it was Universal and I got to um, do a couple things there watching Bobby Fernandez work, right. work with John Debney and yeah, nice. I was very fortunate I got to um, working for John Debney I got to see the greats work. I got mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time with Sean Murphy, nice. um, John Richards, who I cannot say enough good things about. He mm-hmm. was truly my mentor for orchestral recording. Right. Um, I've now done about worked on about 260 film scores, and nice. the very very first uh, orchestra that I recorded for a, com- a great composer named Tim Jones. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to Salt Lake City, okay. and um, I believe it was about a 76-piece orchestra, if I remember correctly. In the room, it was a church. Right. It wasn't really big enough, so part of the orchestra was on the floor, and part <laughs> of the orchestra was on a stage. Okay. I, I think I put the brass on the stage. Right, right. And nice. uh, John Richards met with me for lunch and, mm-hmm. and uh, at Chenu in Toluca Lake, now gone. Right. <laughs> um, we used to eat, meet there often. Uh, um, awesome. And... First of all, having your first orchestral session of that size is is right. daunting to begin with. Yes. Um, we couldn't fit more than, I think, 40 people at Mad Hatter, so I did right, some right. small orchestra dates there. But right. um, uh, having an unusual, non-traditional floor plan, mm-hmm. and um, he, I'll never forget one thing John said to me afterwards, because... Um, it's a difficult room to work. Yeah. And L.A. East, it was called. Um, okay. I, they may still exist. I don't know. I haven't okay. been there in forever. Huh. But he said, when you work in L.A., when you work anywhere other than L.A., you appreciate what we have here. Right. And, and that's really true because yeah. there's a uh, an efficiency and yeah. an understanding of, of not only orchestral music but um, just mm. the whole timeline. If there's a 10 a.m. downbeat here, right. you're recording at 10.01. Yes. And um, I've Absolutely. gone and worked... Uh, other places that I won't necessarily mention by name, <laughs> um, big sessions, 70, 80-piece orchestras right. where you show up for the setup 
and nothing is set up yet. Oh, and geez. you're just looking at the clock saying, we're in trouble. Right. And sometimes they get it and sometimes they don't. Right, um, right. So uh, we're, we're very lucky with <laughs> yeah. what we have yeah, in absolutely. LA. But to continue, um, mm -hmm. Dennis Sands. I got yeah. to work a lot with Dennis, who's also a dear friend, mm -hmm. whom I respect deeply. Uh, and um, Bobby Fernandez, I mentioned. And... Mm -hmm. um, there's at least one other scoring mixer that I'm probably leaving out, but it was a special time in the 90s because we were still recording on tape. Yeah, uh, We kind of pioneered the whole concept of pre-records when we started using first 8-ATs and then right. DA-88s and Pro mm -hmm. Tools started coming in. We, I, I saw the transition right, right. Um, and um, worked on Pro Tools really since day one when mm -hmm. it was um, uh, sound tools. Yeah, um, And I remember... Being how I remember the thrill of getting a thing in the mail showing a, it was like a Mac. Mm -hmm. uh, now you would call it a Mac Classic or Mac Plus, right, right. saying non-destructive digital audio and and <laughs> um, you know the wow factor back in, right. in the day of cutting tape was incredible. Yeah. But realizing the power of of non-destructive audio editing, right. I, I was in from absolutely. the start. Absolutely, that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, so one thing I like to talk about a lot on the podcast is kind of how to inspire artists in the studio. And obviously you've done a number of actual album recordings, but you do mostly scoring. In the scoring world, it's it's a different animal, so to speak. Like you're more, like it's like the artist is really the composer. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like, how do you, how do you prepare, how do you like prep a, a project with a composer to make sure that their their vision is being, you know... Um, established. That's that's a great question. Um, the job of the engineer, uh, if you remember the TV show Mash and the character mm -hmm. Radar, Radar O'Reilly, yeah. um, is to antip anticipate every need, and it's done before the composer even it crosses his radar. Right. Uh, right. We're there to make sure he doesn't have to worry about anything technical. Mm -hmm. It's all said and done. Sometimes a, a composer will just, you know, make a grunt, and you're like, "Oh yeah, I already did that," you know. And, <laughs> right. um, and, and composers are very insular creatures. Mm -hmm. They, they uh, stay in their own um, spaces in their own studios, right. and they write. Uh, they, they spend a lot of time alone. Right. Um, and there are times when, as the engineer, the, you're the only person there with them even during their writing process. Right, right. So um, the job is to support them in any and every mm -hmm. way that you can, um, free them up so they can do what they're best at. Right. Most composers are very non-technical. Yeah. There are great exceptions. I mentioned Tim Jones. He's, mm. he's one of the most technically adept. Um, he's a great engineer as well. Right. Um, but... Just make sure that you're also not in their way. Mm -hmm. um, it's not about you. You're, right. But you also need to be the calm in the middle of the hurricane. <laughs> right, um, exactly. Um, Scoring sessions can be yeah, intense. Yeah, <laughs> I um, uh, recorded and mixed Sex and, Sex and City 1 and 2 with Aaron mm -hmm. Zygman. And in particular, Sex and the City 2 was extremely challenging and there was a ton of music right. and it was all you know 
200, 300 tracks, which back right. then was we were pushing the limits. Yeah, now, yeah. now the computers can that's, do much that's more. Common, yeah. But yeah. We, we were always pushing the limits. And, mm-hmm. and at the end of that uh, particular show, the music editor, whom I dearly love, Angie Rubin, mm-hmm. basically said, you know, thank you so much. You were the calm in the storm and <laughs> kept me going because right, right. it, was, it was difficult. And, Jeez. Um, Sitting where I am now, I've seen almost every situation possible, mm-hmm. and I have um, maybe a different way of looking at, at technical problems right. than um, so much of, of our job as engineers, and so much of life is solving technical problems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just say, well, if it's a technical problem, there's a solution to it, mm-hmm. and how can I calmly go about trying to implement that mm-hmm. if I don't know the answer Hopefully, usually, I'll know where to find it right. or who to call. Um, right. You know, engineers tend to be very supportive each of each other, mm-hmm. even though we're rarely yeah. in the same room. <laughs> it's true. Um, it's but, true. <laughs> but you know, I have the deepest of respect for my colleagues in this town because right. they're all incredibly accomplished and they all do great work. Right. Uh, and we're we're lucky to be doing what we're doing. Like yeah. we're not digging ditches in yeah. <laughs> 108 degrees exactly. in the valley to earn a <laughs> right. living. Right. Um, sure. So yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm grateful and mm. um, so what about when you're um, like some composers are in the room, in the control room with you. Mm-hmm. Some composers are actually conducting. Right. How does that vary when you're working with those two different... I mean, obviously, when they're on the podium, it's a much deeper level of trust because often there's not even time for them to come and listen. Mm-hmm. But how do, you, how do you approach each one differently? Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that question in a little bit segmented. Sure. Um, it's more efficient when a composer is the conductor. Okay. Um, because they wrote the music, and yeah. uh, they don't have to translate. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I remember um, John Debney's a fantastic composer, mm-hmm. and I, I remember um, one time when he used someone else, um, how frustrated he was to be in the booth because it slowed <laughs> him down. Oh, and John's one of the fastest guys in the business. Right. He's so efficient. <laughs> um, so that's segment one. Mm-hmm. Segment two is when you develop a, a relationship with a composer, right. it's it's more often than not a, a long-term relationship. You right. know, I've right. worked with Demi for, for for years. I worked with Aaron Zygmunt for years mm-hmm. and a lot of my other composers. And right. they trust you and they, they respect your ears. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of the, one of the things that i bring to the plate is that i'm also a musician and i can right. read a score right. which is is essential as uh, i think yeah. as a scoring mixer and as an engineer that that you understand um and i regularly play music and record so mm-hmm. i i know what it's like to be on both sides of the glass of course and it's a good reminder yeah um i also think a great booth person is part of it especially when you're working on something that has right. a, a real budget mm-hmm. uh I mentioned I think I did at least 65 movies with Aaron Zygmunt. Our, mm-hmm. our uh, co-producer arranger was Jerry Hay. Okay. Best years in the business. I probably right. learned more from Jerry right. than anyone I ever worked with. Huh. You could be <laughs> listening to a playback. Um, per, he has perfect pitch. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> listening to a playback of an 80-piece orchestra. Mm-hmm. And 
he'll tell you the second bassoon should be playing an E flat, but it's playing an E. Right. So, and that's a, that's a part of the teamwork as well. Of course. Um, I never dreamed when I was a student that I'd get to work with someone like Jerry. Right. And I knew that I belonged in the room at some point when Jerry asked me my opinion on something mm -hmm. and I was able to back it up. Yeah. Awesome. And to me, that was a, a highlight of, of nice. my you know, knowing that yeah, all this yeah. hard work had paid off. Nice. Awesome. You mentioned um, you play music as well, so you've mm -hmm. been on both sides of the glass. How does it vary when you're, do you like engineer yourself when you're recording your own projects or how does that work? I often do. Yeah. Um, how do you balance the technical and the creative in that sense? Like, because it's easy to get lost in the technicalities when you're trying to be creative. This is such a great question. Um, because this, this is an area I can really speak to. Um, mm -hmm. When you're doing your own stuff, you have to set up your room in a way where the technology is at your fingertips and it right. doesn't get in the way. Mm -hmm. If you get inspired, um, and I mean, I wrote a bunch of songs during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was a painful time for everybody. Yeah. Um, if you get inspired, you can't have all your stuff put away. Right. You have to have a space where you literally, you know, Having a master power switch, for example, right. where everything goes on yep. at once, <laughs> and like yep. literally, we, I've got it. I've got my room set up where mm -hmm. I can, in five minutes, I can be recording. Nice. And um, I have a system. Right. You have to have the the tools, the technology, be on your side, where mm -hmm. you're not fumbling for the cords. Right. You're not saying where is this adapter. Right, uh, right. You have to be ready to go, and and it is a different mindset when when you're the artist when you're recording mm -hmm. uh, when you're engineering. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you're engineering your your support and mm -hmm. and you're translating and you're, and you're producing and you're you can be also part psychologist. Right. Absolutely. Uh, working with a band. Often a big part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. I mean, getting along with people and, yeah. and it's, you know, do you want to be in a room with this person for 12 hours <laughs> right. a day? Exactly. Um, I've gotten jobs because I was easy to get along with, right. or at least I thought I was. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> we don't know how, I won't go down that, yeah. that rabbit hole. Oh, good. Um, what I've also learned when I'm recording myself is to focus on that moment and not be an editor, right. which is crucial because mm -hmm. you have to just let it come out. If you are right. editing yourself while you are performing, uh, it's going to be a problem yeah. because you're going to be getting in the way of your own creative process. Right, Constantly switching because it's a different side of your brain. Really, it is a different side of your brain. And, yeah. and as, a, as an engineer or producer, mm -hmm. you're always editing in your brain. You're, yes. You're, you're, you know, the old <laughs> exactly. joke is... Uh, that take was perfect. Do it again. <laughs> exactly. So that you have coverage, yeah, which yeah. I always recommend, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So then how does it vary when, obviously, when you're on a scoring stage, it's, you know, it's all session players. Right. So they're not, per se, the artist, but they still need to be inspired and comfortable and all those things like they are the artist. So how do you, how do you walk that line? Well, the L.A. Um, session musicians are the best in the world. They're absolute pros. Right. <laughs> um, I've also um, been blessed to work at Abbey Road five times, which nice. is, you know, with the London Symphony and the yeah. London Philharmonic. So awesome. I've, I've, I've gotten the experience of, of spending time with the best right. musicians in the world. They have a way that they work. Mm -hmm. um, it's always remarkable to 
hear a composer's demo and then see the musicians play it and hear it right. come out. It's it, yeah. I've you know I never lose that <laughs> that thrill of that moment. Right. right. Um, they're there to do the best job that they can. Mm-hmm. They need to be communicated in a way. Uh, communicated with in a way where they can do their best job, right. uh, where they can hopefully you've got a conductor that that can give them feedback mm-hmm. in a way that they can receive because they're right. they can adjust. Right. They are incredibly um, uh, responsive to direction, whether it be mm-hmm. dynamics. Um, intonation is always, of course, the biggest issue. Intonation yeah. and rhythm, right. um, and. Uh, not grind the musicians, you know, treat right. them re- with respect because mm-hmm. they want to do a great job. Yeah. Um, and they love what they do. Right. Um, it's, uh, it's actually interesting because a lot of times, you know, granted in the scoring world and studio world, you know, a lot of us know this, but, you know, typically the talk back from the booth is only going to the conductor, not right. any of the players. Correct. So that the people in the booth can, you know, get on the talk back, that was terrible, they're all out of tune, and then the, the conductor is like, oh, please, you know, the very, they like interpret the message and make sure the musicians are, you know, comfortable in, the, in, the, yeah. in, in that. There, there's a, um, there's a language. Yeah. You know, um, I, I don't think I've ever, uh, said to a conductor that was terrible well yeah that's um, extreme example but yeah. <laughs> but there are times when oh god i did this one movie where it was uh before silent zoo mm-hmm. um it was called the bridge and yeah. and a, a, a beautiful uh composer came from japan mm-hmm. and wanted to work with me and it was a, a ficor non-union um, okay. Session and I walked into the the room and I didn't recognize a single face. Um, well, I'm going to hand myself. So the, in the morning we had brass and winds, okay. and, uh, not uh, strings and winds, right. and it was beautiful. Right. Uh, took our lunch break, walked back in the room, and it was brass, right. and I didn't recognize uh, a single face. And I thought to myself, <laughs> "We're in trouble." I, I mean, I working with Jerry Hay, mm-hmm. I've had a beautiful relationship with the brass players, with the A plus right, right. brass players yeah. in this town. Absolutely, um, Gary Grant and Bill Reichenbach and and mm-hmm. the Cats. Yeah, um, of course. Uh, and I didn't recognize a, a single face, and um, sure enough. The, the two out of the, I think there, I don't remember. If, I think there were three trumpet players, not mm-hmm. four, got fired on the first cue. Jeez. And um, I'll never, <laughs> I'll never forget one of the French horn players saying, um, "This part is not exactly idiomatic to the instrument. Can we take it down an octave?" And, and the composer blinked and said, "Play the ink." Jeez. Uh, and he was right. I mean, it was an it was an A level score, right. and it, it would have taken quite a few takes. With yeah. the A-listers, yeah, yeah, and these guys were like C minus. Oh, jeez! Um, I feel like I might be getting a little off topic here, but no, that's fine. Um, yeah. it 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 is. You know, you need great players. Yeah. Um, there's a language between the engineers and music editors. Mm-hmm. Um, we often serve as translators, engineers in right. particular, of course. As does the composer. Yeah. Um, if he if he's working with a director that doesn't speak music. Mm-hmm. Um, He's the translator, right. you know, and and we're all in a service industry. You know, yeah, we're we're trying to achieve the emotional content and the dramatic content right. for the film, as visioned between the composer and the uh, director and right. The producers. Right, exactly. I just want to take a quick break and tell you about my free guide, the Art Method, the Advanced Recording Toolkit. In it, 
I share the details of how you can get Pro Studio results from your home studio. I've believed for a long time that it's the cooking, not the kitchen. If you can learn some of the advanced methods for getting great results in the studio, you can do it in any studio. I skip the basics and dive into the more nuanced info you need to level up the quality of your home studio recordings. Check it out now at brennandecora.com art. And now, back to the show. So how has advancements in recording technology influenced the way you work with artists in the studio? Uh, well, I mentioned when I started on, it was on tape. Yeah. Um, and and not, not just 24-track, but 16-track, uh, two-inch. Oh, jeez. Nice. And, um, I mean, the technology now is, is phenomenal. Right. Well, like, anything you want to do, you pretty much can. Mm-hmm. Um, if you... If you know anything about car racing, the first um, uh, the first IROC races, mm-hmm. uh, they leveled the playing field. It was all Porsche 911s right. that were exactly the same car right. and the same engine so that it was no longer the best car one. It was right. the best driver run exactly. one. We're kind of in that uh, equivalent for yeah. Pro Tools where mm-hmm. the tools are kind of all the same now. You know, right. um, I mean, obviously, every engineer has a different set of, of plugins. Right. Um, I uh, uh, I should mention I'm I'm even even tight artist and isotope artist, so they've mm-hmm. given me all this stuff, which I'm very nice. grateful for. Yeah. Um, we all have the same tools at our disposal now, right. so it's really uh, the engineer that's going to make a difference. Right. Um, our track track limits are now pretty much endless. Pretty much. Um, yeah. Don't tell that to the composers. Yeah. They should <laughs> right. not know this. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's, it, but, you know, you give the, um, five engineers the same piece of material to mix, and you're going to get five different mixes. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I did, um, I've been lucky to do um, three Star Wars trailers. Okay. Uh, Last Jedi, Force Awakens, and... Um, uh, It'll come. Yeah. Uh, but uh, there's one in particular that I did for The mm-hmm. Last Jedi with okay. Chris Westlake. Um, and it's it's beautiful in that the it's a London uh, it's a the London Phil, I think. Not mm-hmm. the not the L no, it is the LSO. Um, but the music's really, really featured. Right, and they right. gave it to another uh, engineer, a friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, who's a, a close friend, extremely talented, but he's known for trailers. Right. And um, we both mixed the same thing and um, I'm known for a, more of a lush orchestra, orchestral right. sound with depth right. and they chose mine okay um, I did get the opportunity to listen to his and it was hmm. it was really um, traditional trailer you know very compressed right. bright and edgy mm-hmm. and mine is very expansive and, and lush and right, open right. it sounds like a film score yeah. It premiered at the Olympics, was seen by 25 nice. million people the first time it aired. <laughs> right. Um, I knew it was my mix because they came back a couple of days and asked me to do a surround version. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, and when I got a, uh, a text from him uh, mm. when it premiered, uh, he said, um, uh, hey, that sounds really great. Um, I think it's your mix. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, that's awesome. And that, that's the end of my bragging. <laughs> no, that's, that's cool. Nice. <laughs> um, can you share a memorable moment when your engineering skills significantly enhanced or transformed a performance? Wow. Um, 
you know, nothing is floating to the top, but I would say it happens every recording session. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's the goal, right? <laughs> it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, we're there to elevate and, and um, bring um, our experience to to the table every time we work with an artist. Right. Um, a lot of that, you know, when, when we try to save a session, if something's going wrong, like right. if there's power failures or mm -hmm. computer problems, yeah. um, sometimes if there's computer problems at the start or session or, or a set of problems right. uh, or you have a bad assistant or assistant's not there. Mm, yeah. That's the worst thing. If you are an assistant, <laughs> do not leave the room. Exactly. You have no business leaving the room <laughs> right. at, for extended periods. Working. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's, it's exactly. bad. It's bad news. Um, and, and I'm going to parlay this into, you know, these days everyone thinks they're an engineer. I've right. got 40 years of, right. of being in the room <laughs> right. with everybody from Tom Jones to Bon Jovi. Mm -hmm. I, I, I mixed something for uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Nice. Um, and yeah. when I met him uh, shortly before he passed, mm -hmm. he approved. He and his engineer, Bruce Botnick, approved my right. mixes without any... I remixed the challenge for a, okay. a, a record label. Huh. And the, he, they approved my mixes without any notes because I did my homework nice. and and it sounded amazing awesome and when I met him he's like wow great job and he's he was known to be you know right. often could be difficult nice. um, so as I was saying in terms of everyone thinks there's an engineer these the, they're an engineer these right, days right. there's no, no substitute for hiring um, an engineer and we live in the, in the right. age of it's good enough yeah. It's not. It's just not. <laughs> right. I can tell you one thing right now um, that made the biggest difference mm -hmm. in my mixing that a lot of people will never know. And, right. you know, they'd say, why, don't, why do my mixes sound different everywhere else than, right. than when they do in the studio? Yeah. And, this, and that secret is um, uh, filtering. It's... Um, um, hmm. uh, High pass filtering, right. getting rid of the subs that rob right. your amp power. Right. Biggest right. secret turned my mixing around. Yeah. Putting a high pass filter on my mix at 23 hertz, closing mm -hmm. my eyes, trying it 24 hertz, 26 hertz, right. seeing what worked the best. Hmm. That's crazy. Nice. Um, and what is your primary approach or philosophy when you start mixing a, a track? It really depends on the genre. Right. Um, well, like for a score, in, for example. Yeah, in general, uh, building from the ground up, mm -hmm. uh, take, reducing something to its core, um, listening to the, sec the, the sections individually, right. like balancing the brass, mm -hmm. making sure that your, your balance between the trumpets, trombones, bass trombone, tuba, right. chimbasos are correct. <laughs> um, uh, balancing the sections... Mm -hmm. And then making sure they're real, realistic to each other. Right. Now, that said, know the score that you're working on because sometimes the, realistic, uh, the, re the, the, the balances are not supposed to be realistic. Right. Right. And how is your composer, your client, hearing it? Yeah. Um, one of the guys that I work with, um, the joke that, that we had was that the further away from middle C uh, 
it was, the less he wanted to hear the note. Um, so, <laughs> as a consequence, his, his trumpets were unrealistically quiet. Right. Um, two loudest things in, the, in our orchestra, trumpets and piccolos. Right. Um, his French horns were incredibly hot, which is a beautiful sound, of right. course. Yeah, yeah. Um, strings would never get buried by the brass. Hmm. In a real orchestra in the room, yeah. they do get buried by the All brass the time. at times. Yeah. 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 So... Now, that doesn't mean that any of that's wrong. Right. It's just that it's how he wanted to hear it, and mm. you can get a, a beautiful-sounding score that way. Right. Um, oh. So that that's part of my approach, mm. and it depends on who you're working with. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, I like to wrap up each podcast with the same kind of set of questions. Um, the first one is, who is your most influential teacher? And it, it can be a few, if you want. Jerry Hay. Yeah. Jerry Hay. Okay. Not only... Um, from a musical standpoint of of listening and mm -hmm. um, also making sure that things are tight, um, I got I was lucky to be his engineer for a while before his son Andrew um, became such a wonderful engineer. Mm -hmm. um, but also on how to be right. in the studio, how right. to carry yourself, how to listen. Yeah. Um, when Jerry would his pet peeve was. Um, uh, He'd say, go to bar 23, punch in on the and of four. Right. And the engineer would say, okay, so you want me to go to bar two? And, he's, and just he just wants back. you to yeah. do it. Yeah. He doesn't <laughs> want confirmation because he's sitting there holding his horn, and, right. and these guys are working. Very yeah. physical instruments. Very, yeah. So you pay attention. You listen. Mm -hmm. You watch. You be responsive. Yeah. Understand the music. Know how to read a chart. Exactly. Um, and be fast. You know, right. John Debney was fast. Nice. Um, Jerry's fast, efficient. Mm -hmm. Know your know your 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 acts. Know your gear. Right. Um, know how you can um, bring your talents so that you're not in the way of of progress. Right. Right. Nice. Um, the next question is: What is your favorite reference track? If you have to go to a new studio and kind of learn the room, you know, anything I've mixed. On? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, honestly, <laughs> one of my one of my favorite all times is um, the uh, opening track on the Men in Black. Okay. CD. It nice. sounds so amazing. Um, uh, I believe that Sean Murphy mixed that. Right. Uh, what a brilliant engineer, nice. and also what an inspiration. Like watching him work, where right. um, he writes. He's editing the score while he's recording it. He's marking the score right. with takes, and then by by the time you know you're you're done, the score's it's edited pretty right. much. Right, <laughs> that's uh, awesome. Yeah, nice. Uh, last question: What would be one tidbit you have for an upcoming engineer? Don't leave the room. <laughs> <laughs> the repeated line. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, when I was coming up, we didn't have the internet, and I would sit in the machine room. Um, and read every manual that I could, learn right. the gear. Mm -hmm. um, back then, Macworld and Mac User were, were also great reading mm -hmm. because, um, but while well, this is, of course, when um, computers started becoming the, the, right, the thing, right. but I learned before that and learned the gear. Mm -hmm. um, pay attention, like listen to your client, um, anticipate needs. Yeah. That's and a good one. Uh, when when they ask for something, you know, do your best to, right. to understand the question, and mm -hmm. and be able to, to to help and not be in the way. 
Right. The worst thing is is when you're an engineer and you have to go looking for the en- the assistant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you're freelance. It's yeah. always the idiosyncrasies of the room, the things, right, you know, right. because a lot of rooms have many things in common. Yeah. It's what they don't have in common. Exactly. You need, you, need, you rely on, on the, yeah. the house engineer for. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it all, you know, the, the success of the session comes down to the engineer. It's a team. Not the assistant. You are all you know part I mean? of a team. So it's, yeah. Yeah. We're exactly. there to support the artist, whether it's composer or, right. or whatever it is. You're mm-hmm. all in a team. Uh, and the hours are long. It's it's a very intense. There's yeah. a lot of energy coming at you yeah. when you're the engineer, <laughs> um, and just you know understand your part in it and and be the right part of that team. Right. Awesome. Nice. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. I, I really uh, so glad that you asked me, and and awesome. uh, uh, it's great to see you again after definitely after all these years. Definitely awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much for checking out the show. Make sure to subscribe for all the updates, and I'll see you next week.